Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Dirfattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Sponsorship of the KQED live stream by Xfinity. Xfinity Internet offers various speed and cost plans for customers to find their best Internet experience. Xfinity Internet customers also receive a layer of protection of their home Wi-Fi with advanced security. This is the California Report. Good morning. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Crews battling the mosquito fire in the Sierra foothills dealt with changing weather conditions yesterday, with a blaze jumping the middle fork of the American River. Authorities called for additional mandatory evacuations north of Forest Hill and Placer County as the fire threatened that community. Jonathan Pangborn with Cal Fire spoke about the challenges the weather is presenting. We still have the winds out of the southwest pushing to the northeast. Uh, They're not dramatically strong, but they're strong enough to give clear air. What that means is that it's going to continue to have potential for progression out in this uh, northeastern portion of the area uh, of the fire. And Pangborn says they're expecting similar conditions over the next few days, which could lead to more fire spotting. The blaze has burned more than 50,000 acres, and thousands remained evacuated from their homes in both Placer and El Dorado counties. In public health news, state health officials are advising Californians to get a flu shot in addition to the COVID-19 vaccination or booster. KQED's Nima Gobier reports. UCSF professor Dr. Peter Chin Hong says people may be slow to get the flu vaccine this year, given recently updated COVID-19 boosters. Hopefully we'll get to a pattern of getting these seasonal shots there at the same time. So it's one-stop shopping. The California Department of Public Health says it's safe to get the flu and COVID-19 vaccine or booster on the same day. There's the whole shot of vaccination fatigue setting in and hesitancy that's extending from COVID shots to other shots. Last year saw record low numbers of flu cases, but Dr. Chin Hong says it's impossible to fully predict either COVID-19 or flu virus patterns this coming year. For the California Report, I'm Nima Gobier. Los Angeles County is reporting what appears to be the first known case of a U.S. healthcare worker infected with monkeypox or mpox while on the job. Public health officials would not comment on the worker's condition. This comes as new cases have started to decline in recent weeks across the state. There are currently more than 4,400 confirmed or suspected mpox cases in California. More than a dozen California Democratic Congress members are sending a letter to the federal government this morning calling for an investigation into complaints by immigrant detainees who say they've been held in solitary confinement for supporting a labor strike. KQED's labor correspondent Farida Giovala Romero reports. 
Lawmakers want top immigration enforcement officials to review reports of, quote, disturbing conditions and abusive and retaliatory behavior toward detainees at two for-profit detention centers around Bakersfield. Nine detainees filed a complaint yesterday with the Department of Homeland Security's Office for Civil Rights and Civil Liberties. They're locked up at the Mesa Verde Ice Processing Center and Golden State Annex, which are operated by the GEO Group, a multinational prison company. We want a complete investigation. San Jose Congresswoman So Lofgren chairs the House Immigration Subcommittee. And if they determine that these allegations are correct, we believe that the contract for these facilities should be terminated. Detainees paid $1 a day to clean dorms and bathrooms have waged a month-long labor strike. In response, they say, staffers with ICE and GEO have punished them, including with loss of commissary or solitary confinement. One man told KQED he was segregated in a tiny cell for more than a month, while Pedro Figueroa says he was isolated for more than a week after joining the strike in June. We're the ones that have to experience the um, the mistreatment or even retaliation when we do speak up. So if we allow it, then they just get away with it. But we're, we're humans. We shouldn't allow those things. ICE did not immediately respond to a request for comment. A spokesman with GEO vehemently denies the allegations of retaliation and says the company has always been committed to a safe and humane environment in their facilities. This comes as Governor Newsom is considering a bill approved by state lawmakers that would restrict the use of solitary confinement for all incarcerated people, including at immigration detention centers. For the California Report, I'm Farida Javala Romero. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest, and I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcast to become a member today. That's podcast with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. If you lost your job during the pandemic and you still aren't making as much as you used to, there's a new state grant that could help boost your professional skills and hopefully your earning potential. From the online news site CalMatters, Michael Zinstein has the details. The new Golden State Education and Training Grant Program should reach nearly 200,000 Californians. 
The $2,500 grants can go toward covering things like tuition, housing, and books. And students can put the grant toward programs at UC, Cal State, or community colleges, plus some training centers. Typical financial aid can only go to programs that are about four months or longer. This grant supports programs of any length, even super short ones. The grant application is much shorter than other financial aid forms. It only takes about 10 minutes to complete. The grant rules place no limits on what field a student can study. National research shows not all short-term training programs lead to wage gains, but many do. For the California Report, I'm Michael Zinstein in Los Angeles. I was at the port of Long Beach yesterday for a transportation event. Like other big California ports, L.A., Oakland, San Diego, it's filled with fleets of big, loud diesel trucks. They're vehicles that carry cargo containers from the docks to warehouses and logistical centers inland. But I was there to see a new type of vehicle that's supposed to become much more common at California ports in the coming years, battery-powered big rig trucks. Carl Nemus with port trucking company 4Gen Logistics showed me one EV vehicle and its differences compared to a diesel big rig. So that's off. Now we're on. The truck is on right now? I mean, you can roll out of here at this moment? You can roll out here right now. This truck is so quiet. It's a pleasure to drive, absolutely. As a way to fight air pollution and climate change, the state of California wants all trucks in the state's ports to be zero emission by the year 2035. Mario Cordero is the executive director of the Port of Long Beach, and he thinks that goal can be beaten. For the Port of Long Beach, along with our sister port, Port of Los Angeles, our goal is to have zero emission trucks by 2035. In my opinion, we're going to get there before that time. Before that? Yes, we can do this. We can't do it tomorrow, admittedly, but progressively you've seen that, at least for the Port of Long Beach, we have really moved the needle. So I think, again, the whole issue of climate change, zero emission, and what we do have to do for the communities, that debate has ended, and we're moving forward. So I think for those... There's no going back. There's no U-turn on this. Absolutely, there's no going back. Uh, so I, we're in a very good position. Port driver Robert Sanchez has driven conventional diesel trucks for most of his 20-year career, but has recently started driving EV trucks. I asked Sanchez about the change. Could you have imagined a truck like this when you first started? No, I was skeptical when they first came out with them, you know. You were? Yeah, yeah. Like, well, what did you think? I didn't think they were going to be able to do it, you know. I don't know for what reason. It just seems so odd and weird, you know, something new that... I didn't think it would be possible, but... Because yeah. diesel is what you knew. Yeah, that's all I knew. And now? Now, now I can't wait to get get this started. I mean, it's, I'm excited about our new trucks, and can't wait till we get in there. What do you say to the drivers who are just skeptical, or they just don't want any part of it? I'd say you should take a chance, because I was skeptical too at first, but now that they're here, now that I'm trying them, I... As soon as I jumped into electric truck, I never wanted to go back into diesel again. I just like them a lot better for every reason possible. But there are challenges on the road to electrifying trucking at California's ports. Charging stations have to be put in at the truck's destinations. And then there's the price. EV big rigs can cost up to four times more than their diesel-powered cousins. Proponents say costs should come down as the trucks become more common. 
Strawberries are one of California's biggest and delicious agricultural moneymakers, but they're also vulnerable to diseases that can be devastating for growers. But now, California researchers have made a key discovery to help fight one of strawberries' biggest threats. KCBX's Benjamin Perper explains. Every year, Cal Poly San Luis Obispo holds a field day for one of its biggest research topics, strawberries. These annual field days bring hundreds of students, researchers, and industry leaders to the university's strawberry center. Okay. Over here, we're presenting on our project. One of the strawberry field day's main attractions is a strawberry field. But unlike most fields you'd see around the Central Coast, this one is meant for research. Students like Mary Steele, who's getting her master's in agriculture, can learn and experiment with strawberries here. Every plant sample that we take from different fields, we do a molecular technique to target fusarium. Fusarium. That's a pathogen that kills all sorts of crops, from tomatoes and tobacco to strawberries. It can cause certain crops to wither away and die in what's called fusarium wilt. Steele's work mirrors what another major research university, UC Davis, is doing on fusarium, one that just yielded a major development in the science of strawberries. Really huge success story, yeah. Steve Knapp is a plant sciences professor and the director of the strawberry breeding program at UC Davis. His research specialty is plant breeding and genetics, which means he focuses on breeding what are called genetically superior cultivars, which in this case means disease-resistant strawberry varieties. Knapp and his fellow researchers screened thousands of strawberry plants and mapped the genes they found that are resistant to fusarium wilt. It's the roadmap. Without the roadmap, you aren't going to be able to drive to point A, point B. So once we had those tools and pieces in place and could apply them to strawberry, it was very exciting. With that genetic roadmap in hand, Knapp and his team were able to develop plants that are less likely to die from fusarium wilt. He says this will help bring strawberries up to speed with other crops like tomatoes, which have already seen success in fighting fusarium in the past few decades. One of the growers, he said, wow, it looks like we're being dragged into the 21st century. Strawberries are one of the biggest and most important crops in the U.S. That's why this discovery is so important, according to Peter Henry, a plant pathologist with the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Santa Maria on the Central Coast is one of the few small regions in California which produce about 90% of the country's strawberries. Just 40,000 acres produce that huge amount of volume. But Henry says that system is threatened by soil-borne diseases, even a possible pandemic, whether that's from fusarium or another disease. But he says this new research could help prevent that without bringing in other methods that could have destructive side effects. We have a very good solution that is not reliant on chemical fumigation. But Henry says while the UC Davis research is a success story, it's not the end of fusarium wilt in California strawberries. Over time, deadly pathogens can overcome resistance in plants like strawberries and cause disease again. There's kind of this boom and bust arms race cycle between plant breeders and plant pathogens. Back at the Cal Poly Field Day, Glenn Cole is eager to share this research with Central Coast farmers and other academics. He's the field manager for the UC Davis Strawberry Breeding Program, but he's also a Cal Poly slow graduate. I try to get here every year or every other year. Cole says this latest research is exciting to him and to people like the Santa Maria growers he's meeting at the field day. He says it's hard to tell what the disease even looks like, so this outreach is essential. As a farmer, they don't necessarily just associate it to fusarium. Cole says it's not just about education, it's also about trust. Besides just knowing that this new research is happening, growers also need to be able to test resistant varieties for themselves, and that means continued cooperation down the road. We got our work cut out for us, but that's job security. <laughs> UC Davis plans to release their new plant varieties later this year with hopes of strengthening California strawberries and helping growers ward off a fusarium wilt pandemic. For the California Report, I'm Benjamin Perper in San Luis Obispo. 
Support for the California Report comes from Stanford HealthCare, where their greatest reward is a healthy patient. Paint Care, now with 834 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, coming this fall, the launch of research vessel Falcor 2, advancing the frontiers of ocean science and exploration, on the web at schmidtocean.org. And that's the California Report for Wednesday, September 14th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Saul Gonzalez. Thanks for listening, and have a great morning. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks. Or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KTV member get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcast to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.